Some of you are going to go again. Yep, again. Exodus chapter 25. Verse number 8. The Lord spoke to Moses, told him to speak to the children of Israel. This is what he said. The Lord said, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. If you haven't memorized this verse by now, I'm going to be the reason you memorize it. I want you to notice those words. Let them make me a sanctuary. Yes, he was giving the plans for the tabernacle, but it was also prophetic. They needed to make themselves a sanctuary. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Book of Malachi chapter 3. Obviously, we spent time a few weeks ago talking about the Old Testament tabernacle and the Lord's desire to dwell among Israel. Malachi 3 and 1, we spent some time here Sunday. The Lord, speaking through the prophet Malachi, said, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way. John the Baptist will prepare the way before me. Me is the Lord, the God of Israel, that's speaking. And the Lord, whom you seek, shall suddenly come to his temple. Not a temple, his temple. He will suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant. In case you're wondering who's coming to the temple, it's the messenger of the covenant that's coming. It's not somebody that's delivering the covenant. It's the very one that originally gave the covenant. And now he's coming to deliver that which he first spoke to Abram. He's the messenger of the covenant. He's also the fulfiller of it. The messenger of the covenant whom you delight in, he shall come. Saith the Lord of hosts. We know, of course, this is first prophetic of the Lord Jesus Christ coming. But it goes further than that. The book of John chapter 14. I just wanted to hit those verses again. So we see the pattern of the Lord. We see his desire to dwell among his people, the children of Israel. Then we see his desire to come. We read it Sunday in John chapter 1. The word was with God. The word was God in the beginning. And we see in verse 14, the word was made flesh and dwelt. The word dwelt there is to fix one's tabernacle. He dwelt among us. So we see in Christ Jesus the fulfillment of at least a part of the fulfillment of God's desire to dwell among his people. He started with a tabernacle in the wilderness, but that was simply the beginning. This is a type and shadow. These were examples for our examples. And then Jesus Christ came, who we know the man Christ Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. God dwelling among them. He, Emmanuel, God with us. Colossians, this is why Paul could say to the church at Colossae, for in him, Christ Jesus, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Why? Because it was the desire, it is the desire of God to dwell among his people. And so we see this revealed in Christ Jesus but he did not stop there. We need to understand how greatly God desires to dwell among his people. It's not just something we're grabbing from scripture here or there. It is a pattern that God is desiring. He has not stopped desiring. It is the plan and purpose of God to dwell among his people. He established it from the beginning in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. He spoke it to Moses where we read in Exodus. He revealed it through all of the prophets foretelling of his coming. We see 
it at this time that we celebrate the coming of the Messiah when God dwelt in a human creation of His doing, dwelling among His people. We find in John chapter 14, the fulfillment still, or the declaration still of His desire. What's happening? I'll tell you what's happening. Every time He's getting closer. Every time he's getting closer. Every time he's becoming more personal. Every time he's moving a little closer. Every time he's revealing himself a little more. First it's distant and then he's closer and then he's closer. And the revelation becomes greater and the revelation becomes greater. In the tabernacle in the wilderness it was very distant. Only the high priest could enter once a year and he was revealed through types and shadows. But then when Christ came he, he's closer. God dwelt among them. Now that's why John said in 1 John 1 which our eyes have seen, our hands have handled of the word. He was closer. He was closer than he'd ever been. Why? Because the desire of God is to dwell among his people. He's a God that does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we see the Lord Jesus Christ, God manifest in the flesh, John chapter 14, speaking. And he speaks in verse number 16, and he says, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, the paraclete. He will give you another comforter. Why will he give you this comforter? This is why he's going to give it to you. This is why Jesus is praying it, that he may abide with you forever. Did you catch that? Now watch verse 17. He further defines this comforter that will abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth. Notice spirits with a capital S, it's the very Spirit of God. He will give you the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Why can't the world receive? Because it sees Him not, neither knows Him. But watch what Jesus said. But you know Him. How do you know Him? How do these disciples that He's speaking to know him. He says, you know the spirit of truth. You know the comforter that I'm talking about. How do you know him? Well, you know him because why? He dwells with you. But watch. He dwells with you. But remember, he's getting closer. He dwells with you, but he's going to be in you. It was a tabernacle in the wilderness. It was God manifest in the flesh. It's him speaking now, saying, I'm dwelling with you, but I'm not as close yet as I desire to be. I will be in you. This is the desire of God. Lord, we pray right now. Let them build me. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Let them make me a place that is set apart for me that I may dwell among them. I'm with you, but I shall be in you. It was so distant in the wilderness, and so I came closer in the man Christ Jesus. But I'm desiring to be closer still. I'm with you, but I shall be in you. Verse 18. I, who's speaking? The Lord Jesus Christ. I will not leave you comfortless. I will not leave you as orphans, is how that scripturally literally translates. 
I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I have a question. Well, we'll get ahead of ourselves. You just, you just let that settle in your spirit right there. Skip down to verse number 26. Just in case you're questioning, okay, the comforter. Jesus said, I'm dwelling with you. I'm going to be in you. Verse 26, you got to keep reading to get understand. When you keep reading, you get understanding. The scripture interprets itself. Jesus said, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost... It's the Holy Ghost. Jesus said, I'm dwelling with you, but I'm going to be in you. Amen? He said, the comforter is the Holy Ghost, which or whom, whom, that tells you the Holy Ghost is not an it, it's a who. That's a revelation for some of you. The Holy Ghost is not an it, it's a who. Whom the Father will send in my name. That tells me the Holy Ghost has a name. Yes? Who's talking here? Jesus. And he says the Father's going to send the Comforter, the Holy Ghost. What's the name of the Holy Ghost going to be? Is that what the Word says? He's going to send the Comforter, the Holy Ghost, in my name. The Holy Ghost has a name. It's Jesus. The Holy Ghost has a name. It's Jesus. This is why in Acts chapter 3 and verse 20, I believe, we find them saying, pray and he'll send Jesus unto you. Or Jesus will come unto you. What was Jesus had already ascended back into heaven. Was he going to come back again to them? No, no, no. They were talking about the Holy Ghost. One said he'll send the Holy Ghost to you. Acts 3 and 20, they said he'll send Jesus to you. It's the same thing. They weren't confused. He's going to send it in my name. He's going to teach you all things. Now watch. Acts chapter 2. I know you know some of this, but you need to see this in the context of all of Scripture. So that you understand what happens when you are filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost has a name. It's Jesus. Jesus said, I'm dwelling with you, but I'm going to be in you. When you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, it is Jesus Christ coming to be in you. And he said, I will abide with you forever. This is the desire of God. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly, oh, there's that word. Remember Malachi 3? The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Yes? When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it, what did it do? It filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. And it sat upon each of them. And they were all what? Filled. What were they filled with? Oh, no, not what were they filled with. Who were they filled with? The Holy Ghost, which we know has a name, right? They were all filled with the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of truth, the Comforter, the Lord Jesus Christ came and dwelt in them. He put His Spirit in them. And when He put His Spirit in them, they began to speak with other tongues as His Spirit, the Spirit, gave them utterance. I'm just going to tell you, you need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. You need the Lord Jesus Christ to dwell in you. 
if that same spirit that dwelt in him dwelleth in you, it will also quicken or make alive your mortal bodies. You need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And when you're filled with the Holy Ghost, you need to understand, I have the spirit of the living God in me. That doesn't register with some of you. We used to sing a song when I was a kid. I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. There's something about the power of the Holy Ghost. I can't explain it, but I've got it. I realized that we were singing that, sing, that song wrong. We should have been saying, I've got him. I've got him. Not it, him. There's something about the power of the Holy Ghost. I can't explain it, but I've got him. And he's got me. This is what the Apostle Paul was talking about. He said, I'm trying to apprehend that which has already apprehended me. I'm trying to get a hold of what already got a hold of me. The very spirit of truth came and filled the Apostle Paul when Ananias came and prayed for him on the street called Straight. And he said, I'm trying to lay hold of what has laid hold of me. Of he that has laid hold of me. You need to be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. It is, according to the scripture, Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is why we do not believe the non-scriptural teaching of accept the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. What in the world does that mean? We know, according to 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, that we are saved. I want to be saved, don't you? We are saved by the gospel. Amen? The gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what saves us. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. You're saved by the gospel, which is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It amazes me that people believe that scripture and then say, because he died and was buried and rose again, therefore I'm saved. Well, then everybody's saved. No, apparently there's more. And so we got to read the whole of Scripture to interpret Scripture. Okay? What is death? Well, we know death is repentance. It's dying to self. It's throughout Scripture. Jesus said, except a corn of wheat, grain of wheat fall in the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. Got to be a dying process. Paul, in his own epistles and to Romans and Colossians, he made it very clear. We are buried with him through baptism. Now, here's what's interesting to me. There are those that believe we're saved by the gospel. And they believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And you can tell them death is repentance and they'll say amen. And you can tell them baptism is necessary because we're buried with him through baptism. Amen. But you talk about resurrection and newness of life. And all of a sudden, that's not a requirement to be, to be saved anymore. Does that make sense to you? I want you to think about this. You can die and be buried and you're saved. But you don't have to be resurrected. Well, no, no. We're saved by the whole gospel, not two-thirds of the gospel. We need the death, we need the burial, and we need the resurrection. How is it that you could look at Scripture and scripturally say, I can see in Scripture, die to yourself, die to yourself, take up your cross and follow me, die to yourself. Paul said, I die daily. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I, I, I'm buried. No, no, no. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. This, right? This is, this is a process and so we understand dying is scriptural and then people say yes i believe you got to be baptized i had a conversation with a pastor from another state different denomination it was a wonderful conversation it really was it was a good dialogue he appreciated it. i told him i appreciated it we didn't agree on everything but we agreed on some things and and he sought me out i didn't track him down he 
he was going through YouTube one day over in the North Midwest, and he came across one of our YouTube videos, and uh, we had preached on Saved by Grace Through Faith, and went from Ephesians back to Acts 15, back to Acts 10, and he said he stumbled on it, and it was really interesting to him, and he had questions, and we started talking, and so he just could not wrap his head around the idea that he, we, just, we agreed to disagree about the receiving of the gift of the Holy Ghost. He believes repentance is vital. He believes you have to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. He sees it in Scripture. But he believes the Holy Ghost was just for the apostles. It's an interesting conversation. He agreed to consider what I'd shared. I agreed to consider what he shared. And we agreed to pray for one another. And so, I don't know if I ever talked to the guy again, but it was interesting. I've never had that happen before. So, we know death is part of the process of the gospel. We know burial is part of the process. You've got to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. But you can't, neglect, you can't negate the resurrection as being part of the gospel that saves you. The resurrection is just as important. So how, well, you can say, I see, I can see the application of the death. I can see the application of the burial. Well, then there's got to be an application of the resurrection in our life. What's the application? It's the infilling of the Holy Ghost. You're born again. You're resurrected. You're buried with him in baptism. So also you should walk in newness of life. Amen? Okay. Sorry, that was a side note. It wasn't in the notes. But in case you wonder what I believe and what the word teaches, we believe you need to repent for your sins, a change of one's thinking. You need to be buried in the water in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. And you need to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And when you do, you'll speak in other tongues as he gives you the utterance. This is the scriptural plan of salvation. Now watch. Let's go forward. Because we're saved by the gospel. The full gospel. The death, the burial, and the resurrection. Amen. Now watch. Acts chapter 7. Let's go there. Verse 44. You know this passage of scripture. Stephen's, Stephen's preaching here. Now watch what he says. Acts 7 verse 44. I want you to notice where he starts. Well, this isn't where he starts, but this is where we're picking up. He's shifting gears. Our fathers, what did they have? Uh, they had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness. Yes? As he, the Lord, had appointed, speaking to Moses, that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen. Next verse which also our fathers that came after brought in with Jesus. Yeah. They brought in with Jesus into the possession of the Gentiles, whom God drave out before the face of our fathers unto the days of David. So he's saying, hey, God gave this tabernacle plan to Moses in the wilderness. Our fathers brought it forward. David had a plan to build the tabernacle. Solomon built it, right? Verse number 46. Who found favor, David and our fathers, who found favor before God and desired to find a tabernacle for the God of Jacob. David wanted to build the tabernacle. Verse number 47. But Solomon built him a house. He's talking about Solomon's temple, yes? Verse 48. Notice what Stephen said. How be it? The Most High dwelleth. There's that word again. The Most High doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. Oh, He dwells in temples. He didn't say He doesn't dwell in temples. He just says He doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. Why? Because we're not under the Old Testament law anymore. The tabernacle in the wilderness has passed away. Solomon's temple is gone. 
Christ, which was the temple when he walked the earth for 33, 33 and a half years, he was, his body was the temple of the living God. But he had died, been buried. This is what Stephen is preaching to them. He's bringing them through God dwelling among them. He's bringing them through the tabernacle and the temple. He brings them to Jesus Christ and he's saying, hey, he doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. Watch. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build me, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? He's quoting the Old Testament psalmist and he's saying, God feels so much, you're not going to build a physical structure that can hold him. However, verse 50, hath not my hand made all these things? Verse 51, watch what Stephen says. You stiff-necked and you uncircumcised in heart and ears. What are you resisting? What are they resisting? What are they resisting? Who are they resisting? You do always resist the Holy Ghost. You're resisting the Lord, the Jesus Christ that walked the earth. You're resisting Him coming to His temple. The Holy Ghost, I'm... Stephen was preaching to them Christ and the infilling of Christ. That's why he took them back through the prophets. That's why he took them through the tabernacle in the wilderness. That's why he took them to David's vision and Solomon's temple. That's why he preached Christ. And he's saying, what are you resisting? God doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. And you're resisting the living God who's trying to put his spirit in you. You do always resist the Holy Ghost. Just like your fathers resisted, so do you. Acts 17 and verse 24. Paul is speaking here to those on Mars Hill. I could read a whole lot of verses, but for sake of time, we're not. And he had passed an altar to the unknown God. He said, you ignorantly worship. This is who I'm declaring to you. God. Which God? Capital G God. God that made the world and all things therein. Seeing that he is Lord of heaven and of earth, he does not dwell in temples made with hands. He didn't say he doesn't dwell in temples. Just he doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. Why does this keep coming up? Because the desire of God is to dwell among his people. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Let them create for me a place that is set apart and separated unto me that I can dwell among them. That God would so desire to dwell among his people. And then someone would say, allowing him to dwell within them is not a part of the salvation plan makes no sense to me. And I'll explain that further, maybe tonight, maybe later. We'll see. Because I'm going to tell you, the infilling of the Holy Ghost in this life is not the final chapter of a temple that he dwells in. Now, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 15. Let's go back to verse 11, just because I like verse 11 so much, and I want to read it. Paul named all kinds of stuff. You can read it before verse 11. Thieves, covetous, drunkards, he just, he, revilers, extortioners. He names all this fornicators, idolaters, adulterers. 
abusers. He names all this stuff. He says, none of you will inherit the kingdom of God. In case you were wondering. But then he says, verse 11, and such were some of you. Aren't you thankful that what we were is not what we are? Paul said, such were some of you, but you are washed. You are sanctified. You are justified. How? In the name of the Lord Jesus and. See, people want to leave off that and. And is a conjunction that joins two thoughts. One thought is not complete without the other. You are washed, you are sanctified, and you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. I'm just going to tell you. Baptism in water in the name of Jesus and the infilling of the Holy Ghost, they may be two separate points in time in our life. But they are a single birth in the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's the dying in the water or the burying in the water and the coming alive when he fills us with his spirit. Does that make sense? Ain't none of us got buried and said, thank the Lord I got buried with him. I don't want to be alive with him. But you understand if you say, well, you need to repent, you need to be baptized, but I don't believe receiving the Holy Ghost is necessary. What you're saying is, I don't believe I need to be alive with him. I don't need him to be alive in me. You've got to be filled with the Holy Ghost. It's part of the gospel. It's the desire of God to dwell. Watch. What verse is on? Okay, that was verse 11. Skip down to verse number uh, 15. Know you not? This is a rhetorical question. Do you not know that your bodies are what? They're members of Christ. Like, your body's a member of Christ's body is what he's saying. Do you not know that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then, he's asking us a question. If I believe that, shall I then take the members of Christ, you, will you take your body? Will I take my body? And will I make it the member of a harlot? Would Christ join himself with a harlot? Of course not. Would you and I take our body if we're members of his body? This is what Paul's asking. And join it to a... You know why Paul was asking this? Notice what he said. God forbid. He was doing this because the Corinthian church had an issue. They just thought, you know what? We can be involved in all kinds of sexual immorality and it doesn't matter. And Paul was saying, it does matter. You're a member of Christ. You're a part of the body of Christ. Do you believe that Christ would do what you're doing with your body? Next verse. What? Do you not know that he which is joined to a harlot is one body? You don't get to join up there and then act like it's two separate. No, no, no. You join to that. That's what you are. That's what he's saying. For two, said he, shall be one flesh. You join with a harlot. You're making yourself one flesh with that. No, this is plain, but this is what Paul wrote. Next verse. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Now, aren't you glad that Paul started with, but such were some of you, and you're washed and you're sanctified and you're justified, right? Because otherwise we read this and condemnation could set in depending on how we've all lived our lives. But we've been washed. But Paul is reminding them, but he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Next verse. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man does is without the body, but he, notice what he says, he that commits fornication sins against his own body. Not just his own physical body, 
but the body which he's a part of. He sins against his own body. Next verse. What? Do you not know that your body? Everybody pat yourself on the chest right there. That's the body he's talking about. Do you not know that your body, what is your body? Oh, we just got right down to the real brass tacks, as someone say quickly, didn't we? Your body, my body, is the temple of the Holy Ghost. There has been an issue from the tabernacle in the wilderness to Jesus' day to this day. And the issue has been the Spirit of the Lord having to bring correction to clean out the temple. In the Old Testament, Eli was the high priest and he had some sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and they did not consider the temple sacred like they should have And they corrupted the offerings and the sacrifices. And God was not pleased with them. Why? Because they were not caring for the things of the temple. They were desecrating the temple. In Jesus' day, Israel kept it. In Jesus' day, remember, he made a scourge out of three cords. He made this whip and he went in and he purged the temple. Right, because in his day, they'd filled it up with tables of money changers and people could buy doves and all this stuff. And he went in and drove them out. Why? Because the temple was meant to be holy unto him. And then we see it, and this is what Paul is addressing in Corinthians. He's saying, hey, don't you know your body's the temple of the Holy Ghost? And if we're not careful, we, we forget that and we fall into the trap that they did in Jesus' day. We fall into the trap Israel did. And we take no regard for what we led in the temple. We don't keep the temple sacred. We don't keep the... This is why the scripture says, Be ye holy as I am holy. Keep this body set apart unto the Lord. It's not about rules and it's about relationship. What? Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? Which is, where's where's the Holy Ghost at? Where's that? In you. When I violate this body with sin, I'm violating the temple where God See, we don't want to make it that real. But we need a fresh reverence. Not for self. For the temple. Because of who dwells there. Who dwells there. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God. You are not your own. Why would he say you're not your own? Here's what he's saying. You don't get to do what you want with your body when you're filled with the Holy Ghost. Because it's the temple. The temple doesn't belong to you. It belongs to him. I'd like you to pray with me right now before we read one other place or two. Jesus, in your name, thank you for the privilege and the honor that you would make us your temple. What an amazing thing this is. What a miracle that only you could do. I pray give us a fresh reverence for the God of the temple. Mm, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Second Corinthians chapter 6. See, we forget this, which is why we don't care for the temple. 
2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6 about being joined to a harlot's one flesh? Would the members of Christ be joined to the members of a harlot? So it is, it is that same it's that same understanding that we find here when he says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. This, this connection, right? You become what you fellowship. You become what you entertain. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what, fellow? He's asking these questions again. He's trying to get the church to answer these questions in light of the Scripture, in light of the relationship with God. What fellowship does righteousness have with unrighteousness? He's saying, hey, what justification is there for righteousness to fellowship unrighteousness? There's not any. It's a rhetorical question. There's not. What fellowship does righteousness have with unrighteousness? What communion has light with darkness? Keep going. What concord or agreement does Christ have with Belial or the spirit of Satan? Or what part does he that believe have with an infidel, someone that doesn't believe? Next verse. And what agreement, watch this, what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? For you, everybody say me, you are the temple of the living God. 1 Corinthians 6, he said, you're the temple of the Holy Ghost. 2 Corinthians 6, he said, you're the temple of the living God. Are those two different things? course not the Holy Ghost is the living God living in you in case you were wondering the Holy Ghost is the living God you are the temple of the living God as God watch what is he drawing that reference from as God hath said I will dwell in them God dwells in you when you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. He said, I'll dwell in them and I'll walk in them. What does it mean for him to walk in you? I'll tell you what it means. It means the body belongs to him and he takes the temple where he wants it to go. Ezekiel, you see this moving what is the moving it's the glory of the lord it's showing you it started in the temple if you read the book of ezekiel you see it start in the temple that has eyes on every side and wings and wheel in the middle of the wheel what was it it would move anywhere it represented the glory of the lord the presence of god and it started in the temple but then it went everywhere beyond the temple where the spirit of the lord chose to go what was he signifying? He was signifying, hey, you're not going to hold the glory of the Lord in a physical place. But the Spirit of the Lord determines where it's housed and where it goes. And so for the Lord to walk in us means that the Lord, the living God, is ordering and determining our steps, not ourselves. The God of the temple determines the place of the temple, the direction of the temple. We see the pattern in the Old Testament. When Moses built the tabernacle, they would set it up, and the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire would stay over it. And when did they know it was time to pick up the tabernacle and move it? As soon as the pillar of cloud moved up, pick it up, time to move. The tabernacle went where the Spirit went. This is what it is to be led by the Spirit. He wants to walk in you. The living God said, I'll dwell in them and I'll walk in them. Watch, watch. I'm hurrying. I know you don't believe it, but I am. I will be their God. And they shall be my people. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. The voice of the Lord has not changed to you and I. Would we make him a sanctuary that he would dwell among us? 
Watch the next verse. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. He's talking about the temple. We got to be separate, holy unto the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Now watch verse 18. This is so beautiful and so powerful. Watch. And I, it doesn't say I, I is implied, because he's already talking to us. And will be what to you? I will receive you. And who's talking here? The Lord. We just read that in verse number 17. Saith the Lord. And will be what to you? I'll be a father to you. You're the temple of the living God. I'm going to dwell in you. But not only am I going to dwell in you, when I dwell in you and then you set yourself apart unto me because you recognize I'm the te- you're the temple and I dwell in you, the living God dwells in you. When you set yourself apart the way a temple should be set apart solely unto the Lord that dwells there, when you do that, I'm going to be a father to you. Yes? And you'll be my sons and daughters. Who said this? The Lord Almighty. Do you remember John 14? I will not leave you what? Comfortless. Literally, I will not leave you as orphans. You'll be the temple of the living God. And I'll be a father to you. You'll be a son and daughter to me. What makes you a son and daughter of the Father? The infilling of the Holy Ghost. I will not leave you as orphans. I'll be a father to you. When you become the temple of the living God, The Holy Ghost dwells in you. And you separate the temple unto him. He becomes a father to you. That's his word, not mine. It's the fulfillment of the word. Ephesians chapter 2. I finish with this passage. And it's probably a teaser for if the Lord chooses us to go further on this topic as a group. Ephesians 2, verse 19. Read all of Ephesians chapter 2. It's great. It says, In Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off, made nigh by the blood of Christ. Now, we're just going to pick up at verse 19 for sake of time. Now, therefore... You are no more strangers and foreigners, but your fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Aren't you thankful for that? Watch. And you are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Watch. In whom all the building fitly framed together grows into something. We need to get this. In whom, in Christ, the chief cornerstone, the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, in whom all the building fitly framed together, it grows to a holy temple in the Lord. Is that what it says? You know what that tells me? That tells me he's getting closer. He's getting closer. Because he was in the tabernacle in the wilderness. He was in the man, Christ Jesus. You want to know what it is for him to get closer? Then he fills you with the gift of the Holy Ghost and he dwells in you and I individually. But something happens. Here, Brother Nate. 
something happens when we let him fitly frame us together. And all of a sudden, the indwelling spirit in each of us, we begin to grow up together in him. And together we become a holy temple in the Lord. And then he takes and we grow together. And we become fitly framed. And we grow into a holy temple. Oh, how good and how perfect it is. Brethren, to dwell together in unity. It is like the dew upon Mount Hermon. It is like the precious anointed oil that flowed over Aaron's head and down his beard and his garment. It is in that place that the Lord commands a blessing. What blessing? Even life forevermore I'm telling you when we get a revelation of who we are as the temple of the living God that I didn't I don't no longer saying I've got it but I recognize he chose to dwell here I repented of my sins I was a sinner but he found me and drew me to him I saw that I was wretched and undone And so I chose by the goodness of God that led me to repentance to die to myself. And then I chose to be buried by His goodness leading me in the understanding of the Word. I chose to be buried in the waters of baptism so the blood of Jesus would be applied to my life. And I was buried with Christ through the waters of baptism in the name of Jesus. And I came up out of the water. And whether on that day or thereafter, or maybe some of you got it on credit before you went down in the water. But He filled me with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And the Spirit of God came and dwelt in the temple. Suddenly, He came to His temple. And you and I become the temple of the living God. And we grow up together into Him. Verse 22. Is there a verse 22? Ah, there is. In whom you also. You, Brother Rigo, also. You're builded together. Why are we builded together? We are builded together for this purpose. For a habitation of God through the Spirit. And somebody wants to tell me you don't need to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Sorry, you've come too late. This is why unity is so important. Unity of brethren. I have to believe based on the pattern of Scripture that when we get in unity, this is why Paul told the church at Ephesus later on in chapter number 4, endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit. Because now I'm no longer just a temple individually. It's not just about me. But now I understand the condition of my temple affects the whole. Because Sister Julie and I are placed in the body together. And so how she cares for her temple and how I care for my temple individually affects the whole temple. And there is a dimension of the Lord Jesus dwelling among us and coming near that I believe we have not yet seen in its fullness. That Paul is describing. I believe we've had glimpses of it. But if there's anywhere I believe he's taking us in the year ahead, 
It's that we would be builded up together. A holy temple in the Lord. And we become a habitation of God. Stand with me. Let me tell you what I believe that looks like. Here's what happens. Please, maybe you can play. Here's what happens. When I walk out of service on Sunday and I go about my Monday, I'm not going, well, you know, it's Monday. I'm going to do whatever I want on Monday. I'm thinking about the temple. But I'm not just thinking about the temple because he dwells here. I'm thinking about the temple because it's connected to Brother Lewis and Sister Alex and Brother Gabriel and Brother Jose. And, and so we're a temple. And so I'm thinking about the effect of my actions on the rest of the temple. And when we all start walking, that's unity of spirit. It's unto the Lord, but we all benefit. And so here's, here's what I believe one of the things that we'd see manifest itself as a result of that. We all begin saying, God, I'm going to keep this temple. By your grace, I'm keeping this temple. And then we come together on a Sunday morning or a Thursday night. And there's this unity of spirit because we've all... Some of us aren't coming in. We've just been desecrating the temple. And some are coming in not knowing if they're even the temple anymore. And some are coming in that they've been fellowshipping the Lord. Protect, and there's this whole gamut. You with me? And so the Lord ministered. But what happens when we've all been honoring the temple? The God of the temple. And then we come together in unity. I'm going to tell you what happens. A sinner walks in. A sick individual walks in. A broken life walks in. And the glory of the Lord fills the temple, not flesh, but a body fitly framed. And that guest you brought with you, they look at you and they go, what in the world's happening to me? What am I feeling right now? What's going on? I'll tell you what's going on. The body has come together and we've been keeping the temple all week long. We've been fellowshipping the God of the temple individually all week long. And we come together. And he fits us together, Brother Joel. And he fits us together, Brother Samuel. And we come together in the temple. And he fits us together, Sister Stephanie. And all of a sudden, the glory of the Lord suddenly comes to the temple. And the sinner can't stand in his presence. And the sick can't stay sick in his presence. And the bound can't stay bound in his presence but we've got to reverence the temple we've got to recognize I am the temple of the living God I'm not doing some religious routine or pastime but he purchased me with his own blood and he lives within me that happens we don't have to come to church and say come on brother Ethan come on sister Kari sister Alyssa come on praise singers praise a little harder to try to build it up so I can feel the presence of God no we enter in because we've been fellowshipping the God of the temple every day and then when we come together it's like man something happens when we come tell you this is simply preparation for heaven this is simply preparation for heaven we are going to a city where the lamb is the light come on why don't you talk to the Lord why don't you take the matter of your temple 
before the Lord right now. Well, he won't dwell in an unclean temple. He'll drive out the uncleanness or he'll leave. This altar's open to you if you'd like a place to pray. But we've got to lay hold on the sanctity of the temple. We've got to recognize I have personal responsibility. I have brothers and sisters, thankfully, and he's knit us together, and we're going to help one another. But I've got to recognize my body is the designed, it's designed to be the temple of the living God. What fellowship hath the temple with idols? What agreement hath light with darkness? Come on. The living God wants to dwell among you. He wants to dwell in you. Maybe it's been a while since you felt the rush of the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God stirring in your heart again. Well, stir up the gift that's within you. If you'll just begin to lift your hands and your voice, if you need to repent, then honestly before God, pray a prayer of repentance and let the Holy Ghost flood your heart again. Come on, let Him refill you afresh and anew. Let's purpose a rededication of the temple tonight. just play in church. God forbid. We're not just going through motions and trying to have good services. God forbid. We are the temple of the living God. And he desires, he desires, he's always desired to dwell, to fix his tabernacle among us.